Okay, let's look at Acts chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 14 verses. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There can't just be one true religion. One of the major challenges to Christianity today. Here's what people say. How could there be just one true faith? Asked Blair, a 24-year-old woman, It's arrogant to say your religion is superior and try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all the religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers. Religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous, added Jeff. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the greatest enemy of peace in the world. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth... And if other religions do this as well, the world will never know peace. That is what a lot of people think, and that is a challenge to Christianity. Uh, 57% of evangelical Christians believe that many religions lead to eternal life. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says that Jesus is the one that leads to eternal life. The Bible says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Um, This is a really important conversation. You know, exclusivity is one of the biggest challenges to Christianity today. But my caveat is that it can be a little bit of preaching to the choir. 
Um, you know, there's a couple of dangers that I think of. Uh, one is that we, we kind of remove ourselves from anyone who, who thinks like this. You know, um, we, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to distance ourselves. We want to be in conversations with people who are asking these big questions and who are wondering, how does this all work? And the other danger is that we think that we're, we're better than people <laughs> that, that, that believe like this. You know, that we, we should always be, you know, balance, grace, and truth. You know, we should always be charitable. We should be empathetic to people's questions and their concerns. But we should also hold on to the truth that God has revealed to us and the truth that the Bible, that the Bible teaches that Jesus is unique, that he's the Savior, that, you know, for, for this life and for the life to come, just like we read in the Catechism. We're going to look at that again, but we, we read that together. So let's look at Acts and the, what Peter was teaching there and uh, see what difficulties they faced, and then let's look at, uh, at God's grace, you know, through, through that. So the, the problem is that the people that Peter is talking to here, they don't believe that Christ is the only Savior. I mean, they, they didn't believe he was the, the Messiah. They had their own religious system already, and they had their way to kind of um, get to God and everything. So they were religious people who thought that they could work their way to God. I mean, if you just... They have a religious system. If you do these things, then you will get to God. And it's, you know, it's complicated. We're not going to go into the whole Old Testament sacrificial system and the 614 laws and all these sorts of things. But the way that you can think of it is, and people have these ideas today, that you know, maybe they think of God as somebody who is measuring things on a scale, you know, that if you do good things, then that gets added, you know, onto a scale. And then if you don't do enough bad things, then at the end, you know, God will tip things in your favor and he'll, he'll take you with himself at the end of your life. Or, you know, good, good works, good things, being generous, being kind, those sorts of things. It's like they go in a bank account. Then all the bad things we do, it's like a withdrawal. And if you got money in there at the end of your life, then you're going to heaven. Whoopee! But that's, that's not how it works. That's not how grace works, and that's, that's not how Jesus um, functions. Um, you know, Isaiah 64 said, all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So we can't earn our way to God, or we can't you know, hope God will tip the scales in our favor at the end of our life. The things that we do, these good works, even if they are filthy regs, the, you know, the work we're going to do for the community this week, you know, working at food banks, the stuff we do with prep kids every week, um, the oil changes we do, all those things, we're doing them because we're thankful to God for what he's done. We're not doing them to try to work our way up to God or try to balance the scales like the, like the religious people that Peter's talking to. Peter is saying to them 
that Jesus is the exact fulfillment of prophecy. All the things written in their, their book, their holy scripture, you know, what we today call the Old Testament, all of them predicted Jesus. And he's saying to them, how could it, how could it be anyone else? The, the Son of God, you know, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And then he quotes from the psalm, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone. So, you know, Peter is asking them, and we can ask our friends today, you know, what other, what other religious system or what other philosophy or belief system is like this? is like this, where the God, the creator, comes to earth. Like the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of the incarnation, God taking on flesh. There's this idea that, oh, all the religions are pretty much the same. No one, no one else believes that. No one else claims that God would come in the flesh and, and do the things that, that Jesus did. Um, Question and answer 30 of Heidelberg says this, either Jesus is not a perfect Savior or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for their salvation. So in Jesus, we have all that we need to, to be saved. Just as, just as Peter was talking to you know, religious people, um, we have the same issues today in our world. Um, the person who, the, the, of course, of course the atheist, of course the person who's not a believer needs Jesus. But the, the church-going person that's, in, that's here every week, we need Jesus too. And we, you know, religious people, it can be really easy to try to add on to what Christ has done. And we have to, you know, we just have to rest in, in what Jesus has done, in his finished work. You know, we can, on, on my worst days, I can sort of be like, God, why, look at all these things I've done for you. Look at all the sacrifices I've made. Look at how much I've done. Why can't you throw me a bone? Why can't you help me with this? Why can't you do this for me? Why are you doing this? I don't understand it. Uh, Scott, Scott Jose, you know, he's a professor at Calvin Seminary. He came and preached an amazing sermon on uh, the first chapter of Mark last year for us. He, uh, he wrote this. Claiming Jesus as our only Savior has to mean that we regard everything else we do as an outflowing of grace. Living a moral life is the right thing to do, but it's the fruit of Jesus' work on our behalf. Intellectually, we know this, but still we look to ourselves, assuming that at least part of why God loves us is because we're so lovable in the first place. We're just so lovable. Of course God loves us. I mean, everybody likes us. I think of myself like a golden retriever. You know, why? Well, of course, everybody loves me. Why wouldn't people like me? It's, it's easy to extend that. You know, of course God loves us. We're the good people. We're in church every week. We, we tithe. We don't do these bad things. But that's not how it works. Jesus challenged this. You know, Jesus, Jesus said it's, uh, 
All the things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount about you know, murder and adultery and theft and all these things, he's not, he's not teaching that to make us feel guilty. He's teaching that to challenge our idea that we can save ourselves. That, oh, well, you know, I'm not that bad a guy. I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus is saying, if you're angry with your brother, you can't do it by yourself. I am your Savior. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 So, Peter, in this Acts passage, and the, the catechism, and really the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it invites us to this new way of thinking. You know, the culture is always telling us, you know, be tolerant, be accepting, all roads lead to heaven. But right now, in this cultural moment, Jesus, it's so countercultural. Jesus is saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And it is, it's a wrestling. (laughs) You know, what do we do with the people that we love? that don't acknowledge Jesus as Savior? Um, what do we do when people who, that we love, they, they die? And they don't know Christ. Um, we, we have to come back to this idea that Jesus makes all the difference. You know, Jesus makes all the difference, of course, for the life to come, but he makes all the difference for today. And the joy that we can have today as his follower um, it's everybody, everybody in a sense is a fundamentalist. <laughs> you know, it's like Christians get charged, oh, you guys are so narrow, you're so fundamentalistic. But really, if you say all religions are equal, you're a fundamentalist about that. If you say Jesus is the only way, you're a fundamentalist about that. So what I'm saying is I'm claiming Jesus is the only way because Jesus, he, he look at the life that he gives us. I mean, look at the way that he treated people that were different from him. Look at the way that he laid down his life for enemies. Look at the result of a life with Jesus. I mean, we've been talking about that in the morning. All the fruits of the Spirit that Jesus brings. Um, I I want to follow Jesus because of the way that he leads me to treat people that are different than me. Jesus comes to us. And he saves us, and he, uh, he dies in our place. Think about, and, and this is where I'll close, think about that early church. Think about those first couple hundred years after Jesus went back to heaven. They, the world was so harsh. <laughs> I mean, the life expectancy was so low, and um, there was so much trouble, and they were persecuted. And yet, even with all that, everything going on, they... They were like Jesus. You know, Jesus prayed for the people that put him to death. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And these early Christians, they did the same thing. And we have the opportunity to do that now as well, you know, to a world that is um, asking questions, to a world that's, um, that's wondering, you know, what is life all about? Who is Jesus? We have the opportunity to, to live that out and to say, Jesus is unique. He can offer you something that no one else offers. And and he can fill that hole in your heart. Because he created you. You're made 
for, for him. He's the way and the truth and the life. And we, we trust in that. We believe it by faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for coming in Jesus Christ to be our Savior. To, to rescue us from, from our sin. To rescue us from our folly. God, you, you pour out your grace on us every day and you give us new, a new start and you show us your power. Um, we're going to sing it, Lord, but we, we just pray that we would live it. You are, you are mighty to save because you have saved me, because you saved my friends here. You've rescued us. And uh, there are so many amazing things that await us. Sure, in this life, but certainly in the life to come when when we will see you face to face. God, help us to, to live out this truth, to live out the reality that you, you are the way, to share it with others as you give us opportunity, and to be thoughtful and, uh, and caring, but also full of grace and truth as we share what you have, uh, what you have told us. We ask this all in... Your mighty name, Lord, mighty to save. Amen.